Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. The gospel is a message. It's not a lifestyle. It affects our life, but it is a message. It is words, and those words that God put all his power to save us in are these words. Christ died for our sins, and he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And whoever believes on him will have everlasting life. It's those words, when heard and believed, change your entire life. It's a glorious gospel that he's given us, and it really is good news. That's the good news. And I love that, that Jesus did everything that was difficult, everything that would, all the work that it would take for us to repair our relationship with God because we're born in sin. But Jesus knew that we could not save ourselves, so God became a man, and then he willingly got blamed for all of our sickness uh, and all of our, got blamed for all of our sin and then took upon himself all of our sickness and our disease and our pains and took care of all of that trouble that Adam brought through his sin so that we could all be redeemed and live a life, a real life, a real, and having a real relationship with God. Amen. And, and I don't know what your experience with God is here. I know several of you because you're part of this church, but, um, but I don't know what your knowledge of, of him is and, and that you only maybe know him through what religion has taught you, through what maybe your don, denomination taught you or, or just in hard knocks of life. And, or maybe today you're here and you're full force with God. I mean, you fully believe this gospel. And, but I want to talk for a few minutes about the resurrection. I've titled today's message Beyond the Grave because it's something that we need to stay aware of or first of all, understand it and know that it's a real reality. But, but then to, to have that power to have that reality activated in our everyday lives and not just for a day down the road. Because, see, resurrection experience that, that God has for all of us is, is for every day. Because the Scripture teaches, and Heather said that this morning, she said the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and lives in our mortal body. That is, this body that's subject to death. And so we have that power, that res- resurrection power available to us. And I thank God for that. I want to take just a moment. Um, last, last Sunday, I, I didn't get to announce this in the second service, but I did in the first service. But I, I want to just take this moment to, if you don't know this, or even if you do, that my daughter Madeline is engaged to this young man, Jonathan Huffman, and they did that last Friday. So really excited for you. Stand up, let them look at you since you're standing there, since you're sitting there. So, yeah, we're very excited. Uh, the, the harsh reality hit me as, as after, after, um, after the, we, they were engaged and our families came together for dinner that night and I was sitting across from Jonathan's dad, his name was Joey, and he's been a good friend of mine for many years. And, and he looked at me, he says, now we need to have a, a real conversation. He says, we need to talk about how we're going to split up the grandkids, you know? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm having this conversation, and, and it's actually relevant. <laughs> wow. But I'm sure excited about it. See, I'm looking forward to what my parents told me about, how exciting it was to have grandkids, all the fun and no responsibility. Yes. Amen. That's wonderful. But wait till you're married. All right, you got to keep, keep everything in order. They're getting married in July, so, so we expect to hear that, that news. 
Not long after that. <laughs> Acts chapter 1. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Today, maybe I want to I present some things to you about the resurrection of Christ that maybe you haven't thought about. I mean, you believe in the resurrection. Maybe you're, you're all in. But, but I want to help us maybe think about what that means and, and the power of that resurrection and really bring some evidence about it that, that makes it difficult for you to come to any other conclusion than that it's true. Thank you for your enthusiasm. All right. The, yeah. I don't know if you saw my pun on Instagram this morning, but I really liked it that the, the tomb is empty, no, no bones about it. The, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. The former, the former account, it's funny and truthful. <laughs> All right, listen, this is, the, this is the, the writer, his name is Luke, and Luke is one of Paul's contemporaries. He's one of uh, Paul's companions who traveled uh, with him, and so Luke writes two ver two books in the New Testament, one being the book of Luke and this other one being the book of Acts. And so he's very meticulous. He's a, he's a medical doctor. And so he, he gives a lot of historical facts and, and, and facts to the stories to help us have understanding. And, and here he's writing to uh, uh, Theophilus and he says this, the former account I made of Theophilus of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach in verse two, uh, until the day in which he was taken up after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. Verse 3, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. I want you to see that. By many infallible proofs. Being seen by them, that is, uh, these witnesses, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus had 40 days here on the earth after he died, was buried, and rose again. And after his resurrection, he spent 40 days and he making these several appearances. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, you can see about 12 times that Jesus made appearances to people. And sometimes it was to one person. Sometimes it was the, to the two guys on the road to Emmaus that you can read out about in the book of Luke. And then you see that he appeared to the apostles uh, together. But then Paul says that he appeared to 500 at once. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, we get that information. So Jesus was showing up all over the place, and, and he spent this time to give them um, their, their work orders, if you will. That this is what you're going to do. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. And so he began to teach them about that and then to tell them to go now and teach others and, and bring this gospel to the world so that ultimately the kingdom of God can be established on the earth. And, but but there's, a, there's something about, I, don't, I just want to, slow this thing down for just a moment because all four of the gospel accounts uh, give the story of the resurrection. Now, all four of them are different as well. And so let's just go there for just a moment. It's very early in the morning, probably around 6 a.m. on the first day of the week at a garden tomb. And these women are making their way in the wee hours uh, because the it's still dark while they're heading to the tomb because they didn't get to finish what they wanted to finish. And that was their Savior had died. And, but because it happened so late in the day that they took him down off the cross three days prior and put him in the tomb, they were all rushed because of uh, preparation day. And so they didn't get to fully embalm. They didn't get to fully uh, 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 anoint his dead body as they like to in their tradition. And so they were coming that morning with these spices to finish the job. 
to anoint the dead body of Jesus. And as they're on their way there, something happens, even through all their weeping and, and just knowing the, remembering the terrible events that took place just three days ago, watching him die. And now here they come to anoint him. And, 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 and now also they have to think about how we're going to tell these Roman soldiers that we need them to open that sealed up tomb so that we can get to the body. And I'm sure it's, all, it's a very stressful and difficult moment. But now, when they come into the clearing, this shocking sight is before them as they see these, this Roman guard are laid out unconscious on the ground. And they also see that the, that big heavy stone has been rolled aside and this tomb is open. And then when they get to look inside, there's nobody there. It's empty. The body's not there. The body they're supposed to anoint is there. Who stole his body and Why? Would they steal his body? Where have they laid him? And so they get stressed out about this. And so, so the question here before us today is, did Jesus really, did he really rise from the dead? Can we know that for sure? And can we trust that? Can we trust proofs that Luke alludes to here? He says that through many infallible proofs, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So they come to the, a tomb to anoint Jesus' dead body. They were not looking for resurrection. They expected that his dead body, that it would do what all dead bodies do. That is, stay dead. They, they did not know, they did not understand in this moment. They, what had, Jesus had told them had not really sunk in. Even Job says this, as the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. See, when we think about death, I mean, it's the final chapter here. You know, there are many who, who believe that that's it. There's, there's nothing beyond that. It's over. And, and, and when we have loved ones we lose, we, we, in this reality that we live here on the earth, it's something that we have to continually face, that we're not going to see him again. And so we sense the finality of that. It's hard for us to comprehend other things outside of this world beyond. And the, the, the psalmist even says this in Psalm 89, what, a, what man can live and not see death? Can he, deliver, can he deliver his life from the power of the grave? It's the end. But this day, these ladies are going to learn something new. And not only them, but then the disciples are just going to echo out from there that there absolutely is life beyond the grave. There absolutely is a reality. There is a power. There is an experience that is beyond the grave. And perhaps, perhaps today you're here seeking to understand this in your own life, this issue of the resurrection, because you've heard many conflicting statements and you don't know really what to believe. Maybe you're a Christian who has stepped forward in faith and believe, but you've never really studied these facts for yourself. And so... Here, I just want to present an opportunity for you. Just a few things. And I don't have time to go over all the evidences of his resurrection. And, uh, but I want to give you a few thoughts here for the next few minutes. And let's just start by simply looking at the facts that we have in the gospel accounts. Because we have several things. And, uh, and there are a few pieces of evidence surrounding the events on that Sunday morning in Jerusalem. And one of them is the first one that I want us to notice is this Roman guard. Now the Roman guard was put there at the empty tomb of Jesus because the Jews remembered something Jesus said. It's funny that the disciples didn't remember it, but his, his enemies did. These religious leaders, they remembered saying that blasphemer said that in three days he would rise again. 
so, so that his followers don't get it in their heads that they're going to conspire to uh, uh, and grab and steal his body so that they can say that he's risen. Why don't we do this? Let's get a Roman guard over there, put a seal on that tomb. I mean, silicone that thing up so there's no way that they can get in there and then, you know, we won't have to worry about this. So that's why the Roman guards sat there. So there's like 16 to 20 different uh, guards here, depending on which historian you read, but somewhere between 16 and 20 guys, and they run in shifts. And so four of them will be placed in front of the tomb, and the rest are sleeping until it's their turn to take their post. And, and, and that, now this is extremely important. These guys don't go to sleep on the watch because if they do, they die. So their lives are at stake. And so they take this very serious. And so that they, they are here, and these soldiers, they had every reason to stay awake. And no one could have gotten past these guys to steal this body. So we have to, realize, we have to face this Roman guard that's there. And then the, the next thing is, is the stone itself. Now, the stone is the one silent and infallible witness to this entire event. It was of enormous size and was extremely heavy. It was so heavy that when the women were coming to anoint Jesus, they were going to need to get some assistance from some men to push it aside. We know it took at least two guys because Joseph and a guy by the name of Joseph who owned this tomb, Joseph of Arimathea, and Nicodemus, who was one of the undercover disciples of Jesus, it took both of them to roll the stone to put the body in. They came and asked for his body after he was crucified, and Pontius gave it over to them Joseph put him in his tomb, and Nicodemus brought with him 75 pounds of spice to put on this body. All right, so this, this, this burial was complex. I mean, there was a lot to it. They didn't just put a body in there. I mean, they put these spices on it, and they wrapped it up and put it in place. So these soldiers sealed the tomb, which meant they stretched this cord across the front of the face of this rock and fastened it. Uh, at either end and, and then put the sealing compound on it and then they stamped it with the Roman governor's seal. And the penalty for breaking that seal, of course, the Roman rule, was death. So this again makes it difficult for anyone to steal the body of Christ. Now both, both Luke and John comment that, that on the condition of the grave clothes, this is another thing we have to consider the grave clothes themselves because both John and Luke say that the clothes were there. And when they came in and saw them, they saw the, the linen that, was, that he had been wrapped in laying there, and then they saw the face cloth that was gently fold, folded and, and laid to the side. Now, if these are grave robbers that come, are coming in, why in the world would they take the time or risk taking the time to unravel all of that off of his body Grab the dead. I mean, if they're there to steal it, aren't they just going to take everything with it? Get in and get out. Smash and grab. But they don't. I mean, this, the, the clothes are left there. That, that, are, are they really going to take this body out and then put the clothes back? Take the time to do all this? That doesn't make any sense. It's not reasonable. No one steals a body and then puts the grave clothes back in place. And then there's the empty tomb. See, skeptics, even to this day, have never been able to explain this following fact. that When Mary arrived on Sunday morning, that the tomb, she saw the tomb was empty. And even when Peter and John arrived to the tomb, they saw that it was empty except for the grave clothes. There's no body there. And when the Jews inspected it themselves, 
they saw that it was empty. When the Roman soldiers woke up, they saw that it was empty. And no one has ever disputed the fact that the tomb was empty. I think that speaks volumes. I mean, think about it. Within a few weeks of this crucifixion, his disciples are out publicly preaching that Jesus has risen from the dead. And if they have been lying or they've been hallucinating this entire event, all the authorities would have to do at this point was, would be to walk right into that tomb, drag the dead body out, and call them what they are, liars. But they can't because there is no body. All they have is an empty tomb. And their silence on this issue is just as profound as these disciples' proclamation. They don't have any answers. And then there's these resurrection appearances. As I said, like the New Testament shows us like 12 different appearances of Jesus after his resurrection and all the different ones he appeared to. Uh, and later on, even Stephen, the first martyr of the church, had a vision as they were stoning him to death. He looks up and he saw heaven open. And he says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of God. He saw Jesus, even Paul at his conversion. And then John, when he's writing the book of Revelation, saw Jesus but all these are eyewitness accounts. Remember this. You might somehow dismiss one or two of them as maybe imagining this or just wishful thinking, but it is not, I mean, it's, it's not possible to dismiss all of them. We just can't do that. The accumulated weight of all the appearances really is overwhelming, and, and they point to one conclusion. Christ is risen. And I think this is interesting, too, that one of the proofs to me about this resurrection that it's real is that none of his disciples were expecting it. None of them were expecting it. The women were coming to anoint a dead body. And even when they came and told the disciples what they saw, the scripture says they didn't believe them. And it was almost like they had to be forced against their own will to believe that he rose from the dead. They had to see it. Thomas said it like this, I'm not going to believe until I can stick my finger in that nail print and I can thrust my finger in his side. And when Jesus showed up, he said, Thomas, do what you said you were going to do. I'm right here. Put him in the prints. Put him in the side. Don't be unbelieving, but believe. And when Thomas saw him, he fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. How many of you know he believed at that moment? My Lord and my God. You know what I love about Jesus is that he met every one of these guys at their doubts. Now, he did not appreciate the doubts, but he met them right there and proved himself to them so that all their doubts would go away and they would only believe. And then Jesus said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, blessed are those who have not seen me and still believe. Then there's this other thing to consider, how radically changed the disciples were. I mean, they flipped a switch. Imagine these cowards. The night of his crucifixion, where are they going? They're not going around saying, three days, in three days, he's going to rise. No, they went and hid. They were scared to death because they thought they were next on the list. Jesus, they killed Jesus, then they're going to be after his followers too. So these guys hold up, and they're, they huddled up, and they're just hoping to God that they survive. So they're scared, and they're dismayed because they did not know that Jesus was 
going to die. I mean, this just didn't make any sense to him. And, and now he's dead. And as far as they know, this whole movement's over. Their lives are over. They're just going to go back to the same old, same old. What changed these cowering, cowering men and women? What changed them into, from this, from being afraid to being on fire and not afraid to speak? To boldly proclaim that Jesus is alive. There's only one credible explanation for such a radical change. That they had seen the risen Christ. And that sight had changed them forever. So that one word spread to another, to another, to another, to another. As they went out saying, he is alive, he's alive, he's alive. And man, they stirred stuff up when they did that. I mean, they stirred up the religious leaders of their day because they're thinking, we thought we killed this message. We thought we killed the man, and we killed the man. Why isn't the message dead too? And it says that they marvel at these guys because they see Peter, and they see their boldness. They're talking like they know what they're talking about, and they see they're not educated people. These are just blue-collar workers. These are fishermen. How in the world can they have this kind of assurance? How can they actually know what they're talking about? Because they saw him risen. They know the risen Christ. And he says they came to this conclusion that they had been with Jesus. 2,000 years, no one produced a convincing answer to the question of where is this body? <laughs> if he didn't rise from the dead, where is it? I mean, come on, through all the archaeological diggings, they haven't come, I mean, they've come across lots of bones, but nobody's found the bones of Jesus. That's because they're not there. And no one's ever going to find them. You know, today we join other Christians all around the world to celebrate his resurrection, the resurrection of our Savior. And, and, and we stand in a long line of people through the ages, along with the angels, and our message is the same as theirs. He is not dead. He is not there. He is alive. He is risen. Amen. He said it, and that's exactly how it, it is. Now, I do want to just, for a couple minutes talk about some theories that have been derived to disprove Christ's resurrection. Because here's the thing about this resurrection. We all have to face it. We all have to deal with it. We all have to answer the question whether it's true or whether it's a lie. There, there is no in-between. You don't get to just kind of wonder about it. You have to make a decision because this, this has everything to do with our existence in this world and our afterworld. How we live our lives here. You have to say, I believe it or it's false. And Jesus, that's all he allows you. So all of us as individuals, as part of his creation, have to face the creator on this issue. Some of these theories are crazy. Like there's, there's one called the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that Jesus didn't actually fully die. That he merely fainted. And so they were fooled by his fainting and took him down and put him in the tomb. So let's imagine this for a moment. Let's go down that road logically for just a second, shall we? So he's presumed to be dead, taken from the cross, wrapped in a burial shroud, wound tightly around his body, anointed with 75 pounds of embalming spices, dragged through the twilight, laid in the tomb, left for dead, the heavy stone having been rolled into place and then sealed with the Roman seal, a Roman guard placed in front of the entrance. And sometime during the maybe late Saturday night, he roused from his stupor, 
found himself wrapped up in this shroud and was able in the pitch darkness of the tomb to unwrap himself from it, stood up, somehow rolled the stone away from the inside, <laughs> walked out, knocking down an entire squadron of soldiers, appearing in perfect health to Mary and others who saw him on Easter Sunday. The only problem with this is that, don't, let's not forget, he was beaten mercilessly. His body was torn to shreds. He was slapped, punched, kicked, made to wear a crown of thorns, first, uh, forced to carry a heavy cross upon his back. His hands and feet were pierced, and he hung for six hours in utter agony as his joints were dislocated on that strain. And finally, had a spear thrust through his side, puncturing his lung and heart, and he fainted. See, the Scripture teaches us in John chapter 19. The Scripture teaches us in John chapter 19 that the Roman soldiers did not break Jesus' legs because they saw that he was already dead. You think these guys didn't know a dead man when they saw one? Everyone who saw him thought he was dead. The Romans, the Jews, the disciples, and they were right. He was dead indeed. No man could survive what he endured. It's really harder to believe that theory than just believing that he rose from the dead. Then there's obviously the stolen body theory. And I, I, I'd like to go through all these with you, but I don't have time. But this stolen body one is what gets me too. Because let's think about it. Let's go through who possibly could have stolen his body. The Roman soldiers. Would the Roman soldiers have stolen his body? No, it, it, he meant nothing to them. They didn't care whether he was alive or dead. This Jewish man meant nothing to them. Wouldn't matter, they, they wouldn't have gone through that. How about the Jewish leaders? Would they have stolen the body? Well, it seems they wanted his body dead and in that tomb. Because they're the ones who got the, the Roman guard there to make sure that that body was not coming out. They would have no interest in taking the body out of the tomb. Or how about his disciples? Would his, disciple, his disciples steal it? Could they get past all of that to do that? Let's remember this. They weren't expecting a resurrection. So why, how would they be, why or how would they be conspiring if they're not looking for it? And how would they overcome that Roman guard? And then what would they do with the body of Jesus? The notion is truly absurd and shows, once again, it's just hard to believe, hard, much harder to believe these things if you just think them through than believing the resurrection, believe that Jesus rose from the dead. What I love about the gospel, what I love about Christianity, is it welcomes us all to come in and scrutinize it. Bring your doubts with you. Ask the questions. And if you're open to truth and not come in this thing defensive, if you actually are open to truth, guess what? You'll find it. God's not afraid of your questions. The scriptures aren't afraid of your questions. You know, it used to bother me when I would read the gospel accounts. How many of you ever read the gospel accounts of the resurrection, all four of them? You read them, you're like, these don't even match. They don't even match up. I mean, they all say basically that Jesus rose from the dead. But, I mean, the stories are so different. And, and you're tempted to think, as I used to be, I used to be tempted to think, like, if this is true, how come all these stories are so different? That's actually the proof that it's true. Because anybody that is conspiring a lie, how many of you have brothers and sisters here? 
Okay. Before mom and dad got home, something got broke. Right? So what do brothers and sisters do? We all get together, and we're going to say the exact same story. If you're conspiring a lie, you're going to say the exact same thing. If this is a lie, all of them would make sure to say the exact same thing, but they don't. They just say it as they saw it, and here it is in the book. Because it's true. They're not even trying to clear any of that up. They're not even trying to make sense of all of it, why it doesn't line up. This is the, this is the account. If, you, if there was an accident out here on 75 and we had like 10 different eyewitnesses to that, would they not all 10 have a different story to tell? But did they all see it? Yeah, they all saw it. And some of their, their, their accounts may even contradict one another. It's this eyewitness account. It's, it's, it's these, the way they just lay it out to me that is so powerful to support the truth of this. It, and, and hey, and the thing about the resurrection for us Christians, it's everything to what we believe. Because if he's dead, then everything he said is a lie. Everything we've believed is a lie. The church has been founded on falsehood by a false prophet. Everything comes unraveled if he's not risen. If there is no hope beyond the grave. But he is risen. He is risen. And even though we celebrate that every day, today we take a special notice of it because, you know, it's a non-negotiable doctrine. We have things we differ on with other churches. I have pastor friends, and we have good debates over some, of, some doctrines, like speaking in tongues, all right? We can debate over that. We can debate over how you baptize or pre-tribulation rapture or post-tribulation rapture, but we don't ever debate on the resurrection, it's a non-negotiable doctrine. It absolutely is everything to what we believe. Everything hinges on it. Amen. So everything we believe stands and it rises and falls on the resurrection of Christ. And this is the message that the world needs to hear. There is hope. There is life. There is more beyond the grave. That's what gathers us here again and again. It's this hope, this cause that we continue to gather around so that we can see the bigger picture, so that we can remember, remember that we are in this world. We are not of this world. We are of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We are of a kingdom that has no end. And Jesus, the living Christ, is on our side. Listen, a dead Jesus helps no one, but let me tell you what a living Christ can do. He can save you from your sins. A living Christ can heal your body. A living Christ can lift you up. A living Christ can guide you. A living Christ can cleanse you. A living Christ can restore you. A living Christ is on your side right now. And he can guide you and help you and strengthen your life. There is Hope today because Jesus is alive. And when our time, your time comes on the earth, when our time has come for us to close our eyes in death, he can also lead us safely home to heaven. It gives us hope. His resurrection gives us hope in the very face of death. Otherwise, there is no other reason to think that we would ever see our loved ones again. But let me just read a piece of scripture to you, and I'm almost through because we want to receive the Lord's Supper together. Listen to this. Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 4, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. I love that it refers to believers as those who are asleep, just falling asleep, because when somebody falls asleep, eventually they're going to wake up. Eventually they're going to wake up. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Do you understand this? Do you see the grave isn't even close to the end? Really, it's just the step into real life. It's just the threshold to the real life. Nothing for us to fear. That's why we don't weep like those who have no hope. When we understand we lose loved ones who believe in Jesus, but we don't lose them forever. Thank God, because we know there is hope beyond the grave. Because Jesus Christ, let me, let me tell you something, what that means. Jesus rose from the dead, which absolutely ensures that all of you who believe on him will also rise from the dead. It's impossible to separate the two things. Paul says, if the dead don't rise, then Christ didn't rise. He's saying everything, all of our resurrection is predicated upon his resurrection. And since he did, we all get to. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the first fruits of resurrection to ensure that all of us have the same hope. Amen. So if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that he did rise from the dead, then you can also believe that you'll rise. And you can be assured of that by this truth. Jesus said, whoever believes on him who sent me, whoever believes on him has passed from judgment. He, he is he is." escape judgment. He has escaped condemnation. He has passed from death to life. Isn't that marvelous? Didn't say will pass from death to life. The moment you believe you have passed from death to life. It's a right now real reality for you. Praise God that the moment you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you are right instantaneously at that moment made eternally alive. You don't have to wait to, he to get to heaven to experience eternal life. You have it right now so that when this body, when this body grows old and dies, you keep on going. You keep on going beyond the grave. Let's pray for just a moment. If we could all bow our heads for just a moment. I know I've given a lot of information here today, and I hope it's helped you. I hope it maybe it's cleared some things up for you. Like I said, by all means, I don't have time to go through all the evidence, but I think that there are some good things here brought from the stories from the, from the Scriptures to help us all think, not just to think, because if you just keep Christ at an intellectual place, then he remains outside and you stay outside of him. But what he wants to do is come live inside of you. The scripture says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So that, that goes beyond just intellect and knowledge. And I believe that, and I love the fact that you can think about these things and you can reason these things logically and find that they are true. But those things will not save you. Thinking about him might help you begin to draw toward him, but there's something else. The scripture says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. It also says this, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's amazing how easy God made it for us to experience this beyond-the-grave reality. And it's simply by believing like You can't work for it. You can't do good enough for it. You couldn't save yourself. You could not make this happen on your own. So God came to help you. 
And God was in Christ, his son, reconciling the world to himself, not holding their sins against them. So because of what Jesus did in his death, that he died for our sins. And see, you have to come to that place personally. Because God is a very personal God. Listen, if you only know him through religious means, understand that that's not what he wants. He wants a relationship with you. And so he's invited himself over to your heart. And he says, I'm knocking on your door, on the door of your heart. And if you'll open up, I'll come in and we will feast together. And if you're here today and you want that for your life, you want to know and have the assurance that there is absolutely hope beyond the grave. You can have that assurance that you can walk out of here today with it by simply believing on Jesus Christ. So what I want us to do as a church here today, and maybe if this is, this is you today and you want to make things right with God, you want to come into this relationship and not just have a religious understanding, today I invite you to believe on him. And I'm just going to give us some words to pray. And if you'll just repeat these words after me, these, these words are words I want to lend you. But if you'll just believe, I can't give you faith. That comes from you and God. But if you'll attach your faith to what you're saying here today, you're going to come into a whole new experience. And I believe that God brought you here today for this moment so that he could love you for the rest of your life, so that you could experience this resurrection reality you would just pray with me. God, I've heard the message today. And I confess right now that I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe they buried him in a tomb. And I believe God raised him from the dead. Jesus, come into my life now. I confess, you are Lord of my life. You are my Savior. And I welcome you. Thank you for the new life that I have in you right now. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. If you prayed that prayer today for the first time, I want to say welcome to the family of God. And and, and our arms are open to you and our doors are open to you here at One Cause Church. Come and get to know him more and more. And uh, I don't think that you'll find a friendlier church out there. Amen. You might find a bigger church or a more dynamic, but I don't think you'll find a friendlier one. And we'll, we'll hug you to death here. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.